is good to be with you all this morning. Good morning, Renewal. Let's try it again. Good morning, Renewal. Good morning. It is good to see all of you. I've missed my church family. I've missed you all. Um, been away preaching at some of our supporting churches and thanking God for what he's been doing out there, too, and then them just contributing to our ministry here, uh, making a way for us to have church, a church call renewal. So, but I'm good, and I'm thankful to be back with you all. It is good to be here this morning. I hope y'all enjoyed our residents, our past residents that have been here in the last several years that preached to us the last couple weeks. Uh, they brought the word to us. I heard the sermons. They did a good job. It's, it's good to have them. And for me, I don't know about you all, but as we think about our vision of renewing, rebuilding, and releasing people, it's, it's a joy to be able to see people that we've poured into, rebuilt, gave the gospel, poured our lives out into. Some, both of them preached their first sermons right here at Renewal Church of Chicago. So for them to come back after doing ministry other places and to be able to preach for us, man, I get joy from that. I don't know about you all, but I get joy from that. Y'all might not know them, but they, I get joy from that. that that's the, it's, it's telling me that we're bearing good fruit. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today as we walk through the Word of God. So y'all be excited about what God is doing here at Renewal and how fruit is being bared, disciples are being made, and people are being sent all over the world. Amen. Well, today we're going to be in Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. If you've got a Bible, meet me there in Psalm chapter 1. If you're new with us, I do want to say welcome to you too. Thank you for being here. My name is Derek, and thank you for joining us on this warm Sunday, all right? And keep the lights down low so I don't sweat too much and y'all can't hear me talk because I'm spitting water at you, all right? No, I'm just playing. Psalm chapter 1, if you got it, won't you stand up with me as we hear the word of God? <clears throat> if you got it, go ahead and say, got it. Psalm chapter 1, starting in verse 1, the text reads, Blessed, remember that word blessed, underline it if you can. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its seasons, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. These are the very words of God. Amen. Today, I want to preach on simply living a fruitful life. Say that with me. Living a fruitful life. Before we go any further, let's pray. Thank God for his word. Father, thank you so much for your word. We thank you for who you are, God. I just simply ask that you would decrease me so that you may increase in this place. Father, hide me behind your cross. Have your way in this place. We all said together, amen. You can be seated. Alfred Nobel. Anybody heard that name before? Alfred Nobel. He was born in Stockholm, Sweden in October of 1833. He was a man of many different talents. He's a devout Lutheran man, and he grew up in a family full of scientists. And because he grew up in a family full of scientists, he was mentored by many of 
the, the world-renowned scientists all over the world. And because of this, he took a liking to explosives. I mean, what little boy wouldn't like explosives? Wouldn't like blowing things up and tearing things up. If you were like me as a kid, that's what you did. I used to put M80s in mailboxes. Don't tell nobody on me, okay? That, that, we like tearing stuff up. But for Alfred Nobel, this wasn't just a, a fetish. He really enjoyed studying explosives. And because of this, he, he went on to discover many different things that folks would not know about explosives. He liked working with this substance named nitroglycerin. Everybody say nitroglycerin. He had many groundbreaking discoveries around this substance. It's a highly explosive substance that's not easily containable. It's so uncontainable that as people worked with it in the laboratory, many explosions just happened right there working with it. In fact, his younger brother would die from this very substance in 1864. And see, this would lead Nobel to do further studies on this. And he found in 1867 that if he mixed nitroglycerin with a more absorbent, inert substance, it was more containable and easier to use. And he called this substance dynamite. Y'all heard that word before? Dynamite. He made dynamite. And in the Greek, dynamite means power. And we all know about dynamite, it was used just for that. It's still used to this day for that. Whether in coal mining, blowing up the cave, or, 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 or taking down a building, or at enemy lines, killing somebody there in, a, in, in war. This discovery made Nobel a millionaire. It made him many, it made him boatloads of money, but to the detriment of many other people because he would kill people by this very same substance. Then one day in... 1888, Nobel, his older brother would die. His name was Ludwig. He would die, and as he's mourning the death of his brother, he picks up a newspaper to read the obituary. And as he's reading the obituary, he reads, and as he continues to read, he finds out that it's his obituary, as if he had died. So he continues to read, and to his dismay, as he's reading, he's seeing what other people think about him. And it, it's, it's really disturbing for him. At the end of it, it says, the merchant of death is dead. Could you imagine reading your own obituary? You're not dead yet. You're reading your own obituary, and you're reading what other people think about you. Could you imagine? Just imagine that for a moment. Well, upon reading this obituary, as distraught as he was, as you can imagine, and concerned with how people thought of him, as his last act, he would set aside 94% of his assets in his will, which equaled 31,225 Swedish kronor, which is equal to $472 million today. He set that aside, and he would give it away, and he would establish the Nobel Prizes. Y'all heard of that? the Nobel Prizes. This, this would establish five different prizes, and these prizes would be given away to people for their expertise and in their fields of study and how they served other people, people like Martin Luther King Jr., people like Albert Einstein, you got Mother Teresa, Mandela, you, all, the, all the way down the line. You've heard of the Nobel Peace Prizes. You've heard of the prizes. But why am I telling you about Alfred Nobel? What does this have to do with our text today? You see, he saw his obituary before he died, which caused him to pump the brakes and slow down a minute and say, although I have all this money from my invention, I do not want to be remembered as 
the merchant of death. And family, we have to ask ourselves this question this morning. If we saw our obituary, what would people have to say about us? What would they have to say about us? What would it read? And see, the problem with this question is that if we're honest this morning, I don't believe that we would be satisfied or like what people have to say about us in our obituary. If we're really honest, because we're probably more like Alfred Nobel than we think we are, continue uh, concerned only with our own advancement and our own satisfaction. And we're concerned with ourselves until we get hit in the head with a brick or something actually happens to us and we realize that this life is not only about us. But unlike Nobel, we don't get to read our obituary before we die. We, we don't get to see what people want to think about us. We don't get to do that. We don't. So I need you to ask yourself, and I want to ask myself too this thing. As we walk through this, what would people say about me today if I were to die? What would my obituary read? Renew, as we walk through the text today, we're going to see the contrast between a righteous man who lives by the word of God and a wicked person who lives by their own feelings, who lives by what they think is right, who chooses to go their own way instead of the way of the Lord. And what I want us to do is as we walk through this passage in Psalm 1 is that I want us to really examine our lives. I want you to take an introspective look at your life. I want you to really examine yourself and ask, where do I line up? Am I on the righteous man or am I on the wicked? Am I the wicked man? Now, I know that's a tough question, but, but this is part of our walks with God. Self-examination is a major part of your walk with God, and every now and then we need to slow down like Alfred Nobel and say, what am I living for? What am I living for, and what will people remember me by? In other words, is my life bearing fruit? And if I'm bearing fruit, what type of fruit am I bearing? And in our passage, we're going to see that it's impossible to live a true, fruitful, I mean, lasting, fruitful life apart from the Word of God. Apart from the Word of God, it's impossible. Now, as we get into this text, let's talk about what a psalm is. We love the book of Psalms, but we didn't really know what a psalm is. See, the book of Psalms has supplied believers for centuries some of the most loved Bible passages of all time. It's a book or a collection of 150 poems that express a wide variety of emotion. Listen to this. It's, it expresses in love and adoration towards God, sorrow over sin, dependence on God in hard circumstances, the battle of fear and trust, walking with God even when the, the way seems dark, thankfulness for God's care, devotion to the Word of God, and confidence in the eventual triumph of God's purpose for the world. The English title from the Greek word is psalmos. Everybody say psalmos. Psalmos. Almost like What's the movie, The Avengers? What was his name? Thanos? No, it's Samos, okay? Samos. The Greek is pronounced Samos, but in the Hebrew, it's pronounced Mizmor, which means song. 
Remember, that means song. Now, the Hebrew word for this book, the title of the book is Tehillim, which means it's praises. So you get song and you get praises. Now, this is pointing to the characteristic use of the songs as praises offered to God in public worship. So you get this whole idea that the book of Psalms is a book of Psalms declared towards God, expressed towards God for how good he's been. So you get the idea of this, and and you really get this as if you sing worship songs or you've been in a more liturgical church and you sing songs and you look at the words and you pay attention. If you pay attention to the words and then you read the book of Psalms, you will see a lot of the same words because this is a book of songs. You follow me? See, the book of Psalms is a book of songs. In our text today, Psalm 1 serves as an introduction to the whole book of Psalms. It's a psalm that, as I said before, contrasts the way of the righteous with the way of the wicked. And this is the theme that you can see all the way throughout the whole book of Psalms. Looking at verse 1, the author of whom we're not sure, he begins with this word blessed. Remember I told you to remember that word? Say blessed with me. Say blessed. Blessed. He he begins with this word blessed. Now, the term blessed, do not miss this. In its original language, Hebrew does not actually mean God rewards or blesses the righteous person. Don't miss this. This is not about God rewarding someone or giving something to them because they've done something good, but rather that the person is joyful or fortunate or deserving of congratulations. He has found favor in the Lord. It's the same translation that you see in the Beatitudes of Matthew chapter 5 where it's used nine different times by Jesus where he's talking about a godly or a righteous person. Friends, this is very important because sadly in church culture today, when we hear the word blessed, we think it's about God doing something for us because we've been living right or or we've been doing something for him. That is not at all the case. That's not what this word actually means. The context around this word blessed surrounds the way in which a person walks, believes, and follows God. And because of the way he walks, he's happy. He's joyful. He's fortunate. Don't miss this. What it really means is that as a man or woman walks according to the word of God, he finds true joy. He finds true happiness. It's not that God's going to do something for you or reward you or rain down blessings on you. Now, I know I'm messing with some of y'all's theology up in here. Because your theology around blessings is like, I'm going to get my blessings. I'm going to do what God told me to do, and I'm going to get everything I, that I, I asked for. He's going to bless me. I'm going to be prosperous. All that is the word. Blessing is not about you getting rained down with prosperity. Christians are blessed in Jesus. Follow me with this. Some of us take this whole idea of God blessing us out of context and make it about you getting something from God because you did something right. And here's the problem with this. When you don't get something from God, you automatically think that he's mad at you or he does not approve of you or you did something wrong. Hear me. That's not Christian. That's not the meaning of this word. That's not the gospel. Don't miss this. Because if we don't understand this term, we will look at God and our relationship with him as, it's tra- as if it's transactional. I do something, I get something. And our relationship with God is not transactional at all. Salvation is free by his grace. Some of you heard me say this before, but we work from approval, not for approval. 
We're approved in Jesus and what he did on the cross for us if we believe. Family believers are blessed by God through Jesus. Believers are favored because of what Jesus has done on our behalf, not because of what we do. Our salvation and relationship with God is not transactional. It's not based off of what we do. It's off of what Jesus did for us. I love what one of my favorite Christian artists says, a friend of mine, his name is Ambassador. He says this, he says, if salvation had a fee, then I'm like Titanic out to sea. Now, I know some of y'all just missed that. This means that if I have to do something to be blessed, or if I have to do something to gain my salvation, or if salvation had a cost, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough strength. I don't have enough good works. I don't have enough of anything in me to measure up to the holy standard of being sinless that God sets before me because of this innate sinfulness and rebellion within me that wants to go against God. I don't have enough. See, this is what makes this undeserved grace of Jesus Christ that much more unfathomable and amazing because he, being God in the flesh, steps out of heaven and sees us in our sinfulness, sees us in our mess and our mishaps, and he doesn't say shame on you, but he steps out and he takes our death on the cross, dying as the holy, unblemished lamb who takes away the sins of the world when we didn't deserve it. That's what makes it so amazing. Where therefore, if I believe in him, he offers the free gift Hence the word gift, gift of salvation, meaning reconciliation, true reconciliation to God because of what he did, not what I do. That's where we're blessed. It's in him where we're blessed. All this to say, family, nothing about our relationship with God should be transactional. It's not transactional. God has already done all the work on our behalf, and now he says, just walk in my ways. And if you can't do that by yourself, he says, well, here's, here's the gift of the Holy Spirit. He'll teach you to walk in my ways. He'll help you. God is good. He makes sure to cover every base so that we don't have to do anything on our own but believe by faith. We are blessed. We're happy. We're joyful because we get the privilege of walking in his ways, not because of anything we did, but instead because as believers, we're, we understand what he's done on our behalf. And it's only by his grace that we're saved. And because, because of that, family, we're able to walk in this freedom. We're able to walk in this feeling of being blessed because we didn't have anything to bring to the table. Hear me, to be blessed it's to be joyful, it's to be favored, it's to be fortunate regardless of the circumstances happening around you. This is why Fred Hammond, some of y'all know him, a famous gospel artist, he can say in his famous song, we're blessed, some of y'all know the lyrics, some of y'all don't, look at him with me on the screen, he says these words. He says, we're blessed in the city, we're blessed in the field, we're blessed when we come and when we go. We cast down every stronghold. Sickness and poverty must cease, for the devil is defeated. We are blessed. I wish I would sing it this morning. Some of y'all could have sang it better than me. See, he's, he's, don't, don't miss what he's saying in these words. He's talking about his state of being. No matter where he is or what's happening to him, he's blessed, not because of what he's doing, but because of what God has done for him. He's blessed. 
Family, the text starts off with us with letting us know that people are blessed by being totally consumed with God and his work on our behalf. That's why we're blessed. Now, this leads further into the text because you see right off the back the contrast between the, the blessed or the righteous man and the wicked or the sinful man. It says, blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the wicked, meaning he doesn't act like or receive advice from the wicked or evil man. He doesn't stand in the way or, or, of sinners or, or sit in the seat of scoffers. Now, now, the word wicked and the word sinners here describes people who do not obey the will of the Lord. They do not obey the law of the Lord or, or what is written in the Bible. And the word scoffers here speaks to people who openly scorn religion or God. This would speak to or be modern-day atheists or atheists back in that day. The text says, blessed is the man who does not walk, sit, nor stand with these people. It does not mean that he does not share his life or, or share Christ with them. It says he does not make a home with them. It says joy is not found there. So the question becomes, well, where is joy found? Where's joy found? Verse 2 tells us it's found in the law of the Lord. It says that the person's delight or pleasure or joy is found in the law of the Lord. He meditates on it. I love these words. He meditates on it day and night, meaning he reads closely. He studies. He cares about the word of God. The text says that he's like a tree planted by the streams of water, which yields fruit in its season, and its leaf never withers. Don't miss that. Don't miss what he's saying here, because it doesn't say anything about finding pleasure in our own self-worth. Doesn't say anything about finding pleasure in material things. Doesn't say anything about finding pleasure in status, significant others, or other places, but it says his delight is in the law of the Lord. His delight is found in the word of God, the Bible, the scripture. Ask yourself this morning, do I really delight in the word of God? Is it your treasure beyond everything else in your life? And don't say yes too quickly because studies would tell us otherwise. Barna Christian Studies tells us that 34% of Christians read the Bible once a week. Did not stutter. Once a week. 30% of Christians read the Bible zero times a week. And 2% of Christians read the Bible every day. And we sit around wondering why we're so depressed, why we don't have any joy, why everything seems to be going wrong and, and it affects everything in my life. We get bad news from every social media outlet, every news outlet every day, but yet we won't pick up the good news and read it at all. And here's the thing, I, I, I hate to say this, but it, it may be true. And I'm not trying to come sideways in anybody this morning, but really sometimes for some of us, the only time we read the word of God is on Sunday morning when I tell us to stand up and read the word together. And we leave throughout our week and we're like, man, I'm so sad. This is going on in my life. I have no hope. I'm no, there's no joy. Well, we don't stay in the word of God. We're not rooted in the word of God. The text says that the blessed man's delight 
is in the word of God. Nowhere else. I love how the author in here, he weaves in his own illustrations, cultural aspects to illustrate this. At the time of the writing of this song, people were heavily involved in agriculture at the time. This is where they gathered all their food. They got what they needed. So when they hear the man is like a tree planted by a stream of water that bears fruit, this would have made no sense. It wouldn't have made any sense because trees that bear fruit normally don't grow next to streams of water. They grow away from streams of water and depend on an immense amount of rainwater. So it wouldn't have made sense for them in their agricultural environment. But watch this. What would have made sense to them if they hear it and read it in the context of where they live, meaning the Middle East where it's very dry, when they hear it and read it this way, they would know, okay, this makes sense. A tree that's going to bear any type of fruit needs a whole lot of water because they do a lot of this. They're agricultural farmers. They're doing all things. This is how they gather. So they know that a tree that needs to bear fruit needs water. Now stick with me because if you're missing this, I promise I'm coming to your neighborhood. Just stick with me. This author uses this climate of dryness. Middle East, the, the dryness or their spiritual dryness, in other words, saying a righteous man is like a tree in dry climate, planted by water and bearing fruit. Don't miss this. See, what the author is trying to convey, because if you don't hear me, you're going to miss this, is that true righteousness is not found in anything around you because it is dry. It's dryness happening around you. There's no water, but here's what we cannot miss. He doesn't tell them to leave the dry climate. He doesn't tell them to leave the dry climate. No, he says, instead, the man stays planted by the stream of water. See, some of y'all just missed that. Some of y'all missed it. See, the tree is the man. The stream of water is God. It's his word. And the only way a righteous man or a blessed man can survive in a dry climate or, in other words, the dryness around him, the spiritual dryness around him where people around him or the things around him are honoring to God, the only way he's able to survive is by living off the word of God. It's by meditating on it day and night. Got two claps. I've been away from y'all too long. Y'all don't know how to respond anymore. But see, the problem is, if we're honest, most of us are trying to find fulfillment in all of these dry places around us. We're trying to find the stream of water in that man or that woman in our lives. We're trying to find that stream of water that gives us fulfillment in that job that we have. We're trying to find that stream of water and fulfillment in that house, that car, our finances. Friends, hear me. The only way we can truly be satisfied and bear lasting fruit, not fruit for tomorrow or fruit for next week, but lasting fruit that lasts throughout all eternity is to stay planted in God's never-ceasing, never-failing stream of water, his word. Stay planted there. But I know some of us in here, we're saying right now, well, I read the Bible, but I don't feel satisfied when I read it. I don't feel satisfied. We live in a feelings-driven generation, not a truth or faith generation. We live in a feelings generation, which is problematic, because if we say, 
we live in this generation, what happens is if we read the Bible and it doesn't meet me in my feelings or what I need or what I feel like I wanted to say, then we say, I don't want to do, I don't want anything to do with it. Instead of that, we'll trust our own feelings or we'll twist the word of God to make it fit what we feel. This is problematic. There's a big movement of, of trusting feelings right now in our generation or believing in the God in me. What does that even mean? And, and believe when people say that, they're not talking about the Holy Spirit inside of them. They're talking about what I feel, where I'm led to believe something is right. I, it's all about what I feel is right. And here's the problem with this. Your feelings go up and down and they change like the wind every day. And here it is. Because if I feel like something's right and my feelings are right or my faith is justified by how I feel, I can feel like waking up tomorrow and committing adultery and because I felt like it was right, you can't say nothing to me. But y'all would dang near stone me as your pastor if Kaylee didn't get me first. Friends, be careful how you read Scripture. We read the word of God to know him, not to suit our feelings. When you read the Bible, hear me when I say this, when you read the word of God to know him and you put your faith in his word, in his promises, what it says here, and you trust his word, now your feelings come as a result and you're no longer depressed, you're no longer disheartened, but instead you believe. You believe, and because you read what he says, you believe all that God has for you. You believe that all God has done for you, and you know that he's still with you. So you're able to have joy. You're able to walk as the blessed man or woman. Not because of what's going on around you, but because you're rooted in the word of God. Friends, the word of God is our life source. It's our life source, not the world or anything that we have. It's like Aquafina on a hot summer day. Some of y'all hot in here and want that right now. It's like being locked out of the house and all you have is the water hose. Y'all remember that? That water hose was like a savior, boy. It was like cold and, man, friends, there is no coincidence that God uses water as a life source throughout the Bible. Water in a male's body makes up 60% of his body. We, we would literally die without water, just like this tree in dry climate. When we delight in the word of God, it says we bear fruit. We bear fruit. Our leaves don't wither and we prosper. Friends, let me ask you, is the word of God that water for you? Is it that water for you? Is it your life source? I love what the psalmist says in... Psalm 42, he says these words. He says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Hear me, many of us are in here this morning thirsting for God. We're thirsting for more in our lives. And hear me, that satisfaction, that fulfillment only comes from God. It only comes from him, which is why the text says that the righteous man's delight is in the law of the Lord. It's in his word. Stick with me, though, because there's more to this. I want to keep talking about this whole illustration of the tree bearing fruit. 
See, much of the fruit that we eat, apples, oranges, coconuts, bananas, variety of different nuts all come from trees. This is the fruit that they produce, and we partake in the fruit. Now, follow me with this. Hear me. That fruit does not benefit the tree that it comes from, but instead the people that eat it. Don't miss this. Therefore, what this verse is also saying is that when a tree bears fruit, it means two things. Number one, it's flourishing because it's taking in all of the water. It's eating well. It's taking in all this water. But number two, family, as it takes in the water, things around it prosper because of its prosperity, which means that the people and things around the tree that's taken in the water are benefiting because they're partaking in its fruit. Y'all are missing this. Renewal, what we need to understand from this passage is that as we meditate and feast on the word of God, not only will we prosper and be blessed through this, but others around us will benefit because they will partake in the fruit that we bear. This means that if we live our lives totally sold out to an almighty God who steps out of heaven, Jesus, in the form of man, puts on flesh, comes down here, dies the death that we did, took our sin upon the cross. If we trust in him, not only do we benefit by living here, but we live on for eternity. But it doesn't stop there because not only do we benefit from it, if we live our lives sold out to him, other people benefit too. They will be blessed because others will see Jesus through you. People will be blessed because of your walks with him. Hear me. I need y'all to hear me clearly. True believers bear fruit that others can see. Let me say that again. True believers bear fruit that others can see. Now, what this means that if, is if you're living one way and the Bible says something else, then you need to question your salvation. Just gonna be very frank about it. You need to question your salvation. If the Bible says this and you're living this way because you feel it's right and know the Bible, you need to question your salvation. It, because here it is, it's not just about you. It's not about your fulfillment, it's not about you. People are looking at you trying to find Jesus, trying to find fulfillment. The Lord doesn't bless you or save you just for your own prosperity or so you can do your own thing and figure out life on your own or, or have it the way you want it, but more so that you can heed the commandment to love your neighbor. The believer's true reward is not here on this earth. It's in heaven when we get to be with our Father forever and ever, which means that as we're here, we need to obey the greatest commandment, which is to love God, your Father, with your heart, mind, soul, and all your strength, and to love thy neighbor which means, like the text says, to bear fruit, bear fruit. But I know that as we read these verses, there's some Christians in here, there's people that believe this, and we read the scriptures, and we say this is the holy written word of God. It's inspired. It's infallible. There's no error in it. But as I read the scriptures, and I want to live the way he calls me to live, why is it? that it seems like the wicked prosper more than me? Why is it that it seems like they're blessed more than I am? I'm trying to live according to the word of God, 
and, and live as Jesus has called me to live, why does it seem like they have so much more fun than I do? Why do I have to live this way? You ever thought any of those things before? Be honest. We all have. I mean, well, let's look at the what the text says in verse 4. It says, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. The text says the wicked are like chaff. That means that, that the wind drives away, meaning that they won't last. Or as Solomon says, all their ways, it's vanity. Here again, the readers of the psalm would have resonated with this agricultural illustration. You see, the chaff was the unwanted part of the plant that the farmer did not want to keep. They either burned it or they, they let it float away with the wind. They wanted to get to the seed. Now, some of y'all might have missed that, so let me break this down a little bit more for you. The chaff is the outer casing of the wheat stalk. It's the outer casing that houses the seed, which the farmer wants to get to because the chaff has no use. People cannot digest the chaff, so it has no use. So what the farmer does is he takes all his wheat stalks, he takes all of that, and he, he puts it on the threshing floor. The threshing floor is a place where he would separate the chaff from the seeds. And what he would do is that he would beat it, and he would beat it senseless. He'd do all of this on this threshing floor. It's probably on a high mountain. And what would happen is that as the wind gust comes by, he would take his big old winnowing fork, and he would wait till the wind comes, and he would toss it up in the air. And as he tossed it up in the air, because the chaff is light, it would float away with the wind, but because the seed is heavy, it would fall back down to the ground. See, stick with me. The farmer wants the seed. See, but what gets me about this is that the seed and the chaff come from the same plant. But one is worth keeping and one is not. Don't miss this. What this tells us is that although we're all made in the image of God, we all come from the same place. Although we all come from the same place, at the end of the day, the one who lasts is the one who delights in the things of God the one who trusts in the things of God. So hear me, in this world, it may seem like the wicked or the people that choose to go their own way get to do whatever they want, they get to live how they want to, but hear me, one day, Christ is coming back, as the scriptures tell us, he's coming back, he's taking all of us to the threshing floor with his big old winnowing fork, and he's throwing us up in the air, and the chaff is gonna float away, but the ones who trust the Lord will be with him. see, the text tells us in verse 6 that the wicked or the sinners, those rebellious against God, will not stand in the judgment, meaning that they will be condemned by God and will not be in the congregation of the righteous, so God's people. So therefore, God will look at the people, at all people, when Jesus comes back and will condemn the wicked and the the righteous, the ones who delighted in him, will be with him. Now, this is very tough to hear. Most preachers don't even touch this. We don't like to hear about some people being condemned and some make it to heaven, but it's right here in the text. This is tough because we're all made in the image of God. But hear me, even though we're all made in the image of God, 
everyone is not going to trust God's sovereign work through Jesus, which means that everyone is not going to be saved. And instead, some will trust their own ways or what they feel is right instead of God's way. And friends, the question we have to ask this morning, and you may think this is harsh, but again, it's in the text, is are we the chaff that's burned up or blown away in the wind, or are we the seed that falls back down to the ground? Are you the one finding your own way according to what you feel is right or see in the world, or are you meditating day and night on the Word of God? Because hear me, the biblical truth is that although the world may look like it's prospering or a matter of time, like the last verse says, God knows the way of the righteous and the wicked will perish. Crowns, money, houses, cars, everything we can actually think of will cease except the word of God, except God. So ask yourself again, am I the tree rooted in God's word in the midst of a desert or the chaff that grows with the wheat stalks but when thrown up in the wind? floats away because I trusted in the things that did not last. Let's end with this. <clears throat> There's one main difference between the unrighteous person who does not live by the word of God and the righteous man who meditates on the word daily. And that difference is that the righteous person has faith. Has faith. What do I mean? People that live without faith live their lives as though all they have is this world. Which means gain all you can, live my life the way I want to, take pleasure in what I want to take pleasure in. They live for temporary pleasures. They don't live for eternity, they live for the here and now. Where on the contrary, the man or the woman who lives by faith according to the word of God, they live knowing that all of this will soon pass away. It will be no more. They give their life away instead of trying to gain more. They take pleasure in what God takes pleasure in instead of their own desires. They think and live eternally instead of temporal. They simply think less of themselves and think more of God. The reason a man or a woman of faith can live this way is because faith is a, as a definition is trusting in God and his word and his promises. And the outcome of that faith is Hebrews 11.1, 1, which says that faith gives us the assurance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. So what this means, follow me with this, what it means is that although the person of faith may not be able to see pleasure or experience it every day, the person of faith trusts in God's word and remembers what Jesus says to his disciples, like in John chapter 16.33, where he says that the world is going to be hard, it's going to be tough, they're going to hate you because they hate me, but he says, take heart, because I've already overcome the world. This means, hear me family, that sometimes it will be hard in this world like a tree in the middle of a desert. Some of us walked in here this morning feeling like you're in that desert right now. Everything that can go wrong in your life feels like it's going wrong. Or everything around you feels like madness. Maybe that's you this morning. I want to encourage you this morning. Trust 
Jesus. Trust Jesus. Trust God's sovereign work through Jesus Christ, the fact that he gave his life for you on the cross. Believe in him. Believe in the resurrection from the grave. It was, he was seen by more than 500 people. And here's why. Because if we believe in that, if we believe in that, believers, family, if you believe in that truth, it's okay that things around you are messy. It's okay that things seem like madness because as the text says, your life is not found in what's going on around you. You have a continual life source that continues to give you life and continues to bless you and continues to give you fulfillment and satisfaction. It's like the tree planted right by the stream of water. We have God's living word right here in our lives. Trust Jesus. Then hear me. You know what people will say about you when you die? He or she was a man or woman that did not live for their own glory, but instead lived their life of faith and to the glory of God, which caused everything around them to flourish. They truly lived a fruitful life. And I don't know about you this morning, but I want that written in my obituary that I lived a fruitful life and trusted Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you're a good God. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you, God, that you're a forgiving God that loves us even when we don't love ourselves. When we turn our back on you, God, you don't turn your back on us. God, we thank you for a continual source of life, your word, which no matter what we do, it's still there. We can choose to read it, heed your instruction or not, Lord. And I just pray, as a church, we be a Bible-believing church that doesn't just preach it on Sunday mornings or fellowship on Sunday mornings or once a week, but God, that we would soak up every word in your text and we fall in love more and more with you, Jesus. And then we'd be a people that would bear fruit where a world can take part in it and eat of it and find you. God, you're good. Lord, I pray if we're in this place right now as we come to the communion table that we need to repent and say, that's me. I have not been in my word. I have not trusted Jesus with my life and I want to do so today. God, I pray that that person, that woman, that man would call out on you, Jesus. I pray for the person that straight away, God, that they would come back home and trust you. Father, you're good. We praise you. And we thank you for all you've done and all that you will do. We love you and we pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus and everyone said together, amen.